Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Hey, 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 good morning, Staff Valley. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, we're gonna make some noise for the Lord. As you can tell, Christmas is coming and we want to be joyful. We want to celebrate what God is doing. So come to your feet. Let's give God praise.
Amen, amen, amen. Hey, we're going to continue to celebrate, but you can have a seat right now because we have a reason to celebrate. This morning, between the two services, we have 13 baptisms. Is that right? 13 baptisms. We're going to bring up the first group. This is all the children and adults that are getting baptized. We have Pastor Ron, our children's pastor, in the water this morning. He is uh, like batting a 1,000, right? You've never dropped someone in the water. You're good, right? Look at these wonderful people. You could come all the way across. So we're going to let you know that each one of these people has declared Jesus as Lord and Savior of life. Every one of these children have met with our children's ministry and have gone through the understanding of what Jesus has done for them. And they declare that they want to know Jesus in their heart. And they've done that step. And now this is the next step in their faith, taking a step and declaring that with their church family. So that is a reason to celebrate. There's no reason why you should be sitting there like this. It should be celebrating because the angels in heaven are celebrating. Amen. So we want to celebrate, and as they step in the water, it is an outward display of what they've declared in their heart. Baptism within itself doesn't do anything to save you. It is a declaration of what has already happened in their heart. And so you're going to see them go under the water, buried in, uh, in baptism with Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life. You're going to see candles down here, and each candle represents their light shining for the world to see that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And there'll be one candle that's not lit, and perhaps that's someone here this morning. Perhaps that is someone you know that you can pray for. It represents that there are lives still that can be changed to come to know Christ and have their lives impacted forever. So as we go into this time, it is going to be a great time to do this. Are you guys all excited about this? Yes. 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 Oh, so good. So awesome. So we're going we're gonna to sing. Feel free to display and worship and praise God as we go into this time. Ron, you got anything to say? All right. You're good? Oh, you're set. Okay. All right. Good. Cool, cool, cool. All right. We're going to continue to worship together. Let's give it to God. Come on. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, gather together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We're gathered together to lift up your name, to call our Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down. Your name to call on our Savior to fall. 
or save it. He's a prison shaking savior. He's got change. this morning for what you're witnessing. Come on. Come on, come on. And you know, we, we got something new going on this morning. So new that I was like, oh, I totally forgot. So good morning to everybody who is watching online right now live via Facebook or YouTube. That is something that we are trying out. So if you're watching right now, we welcome you to our service this morning. We want you to celebrate from your homes of what's going on here at South Valley and be part of what we are celebrating here. And we also want you to know that this is a new endeavor for us. So we're trying. So if it's not perfect, please know that we're trying, and we love you, and we'd love to see you. So wave, say hello. And as we continue with worship, we give this final song up to the Lord, because what we've just witnessed is that there are people who have declared Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Amen? And when there is that, it's just what Robert's saying about. He's a chain breaker. Every chain falls, right? And we are no longer sinful in that regard that those sins are washed away by God. We, we're sinners, still just the same. We mess up, but Jesus stands in our place. And so we're no longer slaves to that. We are free of that, and that is something to rejoice in. Amen? Sing with us. Come on. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Yeah, till all my fears are gone. Every voice, I'm no
a slave to that. You are set free in God's provision for you. So lift these words up to the Lord. Lift your heart up to the Lord. Believe in the truth found in these words. Come on, church. what God is doing. You need to wake up. Come on. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you made a way that we could be set free through the love of your son, through the sacrifice he made, Lord. So this morning, as we have witnessed lives stepping out in faith, proclaiming that you are Lord and Savior of their life, Lord, let us celebrate that you are a God who changes lives. I pray for hearts here. Maybe there's a life that needs to be changed this morning. I pray you would speak to that heart. Maybe there's a, a life at home who's watching this right now who needs to step out in faith and go, I want to know who Jesus is. I want to know the love he has for me. We pray that that would move in their hearts, Lord. And again, we pray that we would be people of celebration. We'd be people of joy. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, knowing that we have such great promises in you, that you are a God of great and mighty things. So this morning, we thank you for an opportunity to raise our voices up and we pray that we would continue to worship you throughout this day as we look into your word, speak to our hearts, be with us, dwell among us, be here. Let your Holy Spirit be with us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Mm. Good, 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 good. I'm trying to get unhooked here. So I got some announcements for you. Let me put my guitar away because I feel weird. I got an announcement for you. You ready waiting for it? See all this stuff? This is represented at Christmas, joy. You know what's happening this month? We're in December. Birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to be celebrated. Mm. So this is what we're going to do. Okay, we can all agree that 2020 was a weird year. It is a weird year, right? So things are a little different. That doesn't mean that we cannot come back to what we know that we need to hold on to in all times of life. So we're going to take it down a notch. We're going to have a classic Christmas celebration here on December 20th. And what that looks like is this. We are going to have four services, 9, 10.30, 4, and 5.30. And we're going to come together intimately back to the manger, intimately singing carols together, raising our voices, reflecting on the goodness of God, reflecting on his provision. And it's going to be a time where it's like we're coming together in someone's living room and we're just going to have that traditional time to set our hearts right as we prepare for 2021. Does that sound exciting? 
I th- I'm excited about it. It's going to be a great time together. And what we're going to ask you to do uh, this week on our website, we're going to uh, put a link that's going to allow you to register for those services. And the reason we're registering, we want to make sure that we know we have enough services. We, we're going to stick to the protocols in place. We're going to have uh, all those things in place. But as you are registering, there'll be instructions on our website on how to do that. You'll go to our website, svcclamore.org. You can register, and uh, then we'll help guide you if you have any questions on that. And if we fill up those four services, guess what? We'll have some more services. Amen? We're just going to keep on having services, and we're going to have a great time celebrating it. And, and I've been praying over this. My heart is this. Guys, hear my heart. We're beat up. We're tired. But that doesn't stop what God is doing. So it's time to just go, you know what? I'm going to set my heart up on the altar and go, God, take it, mend it, heal it, and use it. And that's what we're going to do on the 20th. Amen? Awesome. I'm going to bring Pastor Seth up. He's got some more announcements for you. South Valley. How are we? All right, three of you are good. Hopefully our online audience did better with that one. We'll just have faith that they did. Um, Hey, I just want to say that if you're new here, whether you're new with us here in person or online, we are so excited that you're here with us, and uh, we hope that God is able to speak to you through these services and that you get something from this. And to make the most of your experience, I just want to say, if you want to visit svcclamore.org connect, that's how you're going to make the most of your new experience with South Valley so that we can reach out to you, we can pray for you, we can serve you, and we can make that connection with you. And uh, speaking of connecting... We actually have today, if you signed up, a reminder that today is going to be our class 101 virtually. Uh, I'm going to be teaching that, and i got to say, I'm excited about how many people have signed up for that. With Zoom, it's like there's no limits as far as I know. Maybe some of you have done Zoom meetings that there are limits on, but I haven't found them yet. So uh, we got a good group of people for that class today. Super excited for these people who are taking their next step with Jesus and, um, and just wanting to get more plugged into our church. And so the last thing that we've got going on is you may have seen online, every year we do this, it's one of my favorite uh, attributes of South Valley is our generosity. And we are uh, doing our Thanksgiving offering this year. And we can celebrate that, right? Right? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And so here's what we're doing this year. If you didn't already see it online, we, we want to make sure that you know what's going on with our Thanksgiving offering. This is, we're asking, this is above and beyond your regular generosity so that we can bless those in our community and those around the world. We want to have a bit, as big of an impact as Jesus has enabled us to have. So we're going to split our offering into thirds, and we're going to take one third and just recognize that, hey, we're not the only people that 2020 has been weird for. Right? We're not the only people that 2020 that the pandemic has hit. And we've got these global partners all over the world who started in a worse position than us and are now dealing with this pandemic. So we just want to take a third of these and send it to all our global partners and say, hey, we realize that this has been hard. We appreciate you. We love you. And we want to encourage you with something just a little bit extra to keep going, keep reaching people for Jesus because what you're doing is important. Then we're gonna take another third of that offering and we wanna pour that into our community here, right here in Lemoore. And so the other third's gonna go to Lemoore Christian Aid and all the work that they're doing to supply needs for people who can't supply them themselves or who struggle to supply them themselves. And we wanna say, hey, we care about the people right here in Lemoore too. And so we're gonna reach out and we're gonna bless those people. And then the last third is actually coming back to help out South Valley. 
So this might sound a little weird, but to clarify a little bit, just to be totally transparent with you guys, our tithes have been a little down this year. And we've got, we're looking at a new senior pastor coming in. And listen, I can tell you from experience, coming in as a brand new senior pastor, if there would have been just a little bit extra funds there for all the different ideas that we have, all the different initiatives that we wanna launch. See, we come in and we say, hey, how can we reach this community for Jesus in the most impactful way possible? And the last thing that we want is for this new pastor to come in and say, oh, but we can't. But it's gonna be too hard. And so we wanna give him everything that we can to say, hey, we are behind you. We wanna see these people reached. We want to love our community and people around the world. So that's our Thanksgiving offering this year. And our goal that we're looking at is $30,000. And I got no doubt we can hit it, right? We can hit that, right, church? All right. So that's what I got for you. Uh, we do wanna remind you that whether you're giving for uh, just your regular tithes or whether you're giving to the Thanksgiving offering, that we do have offering plates in here, uh, some buckets off to the sides for you. Uh, or you can give at svcclamore.org on our, do click donate and you can give there. Or if you got the Church Center app, you can click giving and give there. The online options will give you a drop down for Thanksgiving, if that's what you're giving to. Or if you're giving in person, just leave a memo that says you're giving to Thanksgiving. Uh, is it all right if I pray for you before we get into God's word this morning? All right. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the church that we can come together in your name to be your hands and feet. And so Jesus, we just pray this morning that you would empower your church, that you would invigorate your church, that we could be the people who you have created us to be and who you have called us to be. God, may our lives be an overflowing well of generosity in our actions, in our finances, in our thoughts and prayers, and everything that has to do with our lives. And God, we pray uh, for, for Pastor Gilbert this morning as he brings your word, that your spirit would be with him, that you would empower him, that you would speak boldly through him and soften our hearts. Open us up to receive your word, to draw closer to you, and to be open to what you want to do in our lives. And Jesus, we just love you and we lay all of this at your feet and we praise you with everything that we have. And it's in your perfect name that we pray, amen. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate it, sir. And I'm gonna go a little bit back because I do spit. <laughs> right in line, okay. Best of luck, okay. I've been traveling as well, maybe, <laughs> you know. Uh, good morning, great, great, seeing great seeing baptisms and uh, great being able to show that live as we do live broadcast, and if you're in your home, workplace, wherever you are, we're glad that you're able to also witness the baptisms that took place. And other great news this week, the drug company Pfizer announced their vaccine is ready and approved, and people as early as next week could be getting an immunization to prevent COVID and be able to hug their family members and not worry about social distancing, which... Come to think of it, for us British types, that's not so good news, because uh, social distancing is the British way, and it's, you know, uh, and, and hey, I'm not going to take the Pfizer vaccine until I know what the silent P is up to. This is a photo of the first guy that took it. Yeah. You know, I could, I could tell you a coronavirus joke, but you'll have to wait two weeks to see if you get it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, 
Every year, every year, every year I get to preach Christmas story, the amazing story of the birth of Jesus. It's the season called Advent, and it lasts for four Sundays. And so that means every year, a pastor or a preacher has to come up with not one, but four messages about the story, the birth of Jesus, that you all know really, really well. Now, I've been a pastor for over 25 years. That's over a hundred Christmas messages. A hundred different ways to see this story. And I mean, think about it. The two times a year when most people come to church or listen into church is Christmas and Easter. And like both these times, everyone knows the story. A baby born called Jesus, angels, shepherds, wise men, and elves. And then Easter, when Jesus rises from the dead and skips away with the Easter bunny. I mean, it would be really helpful if, like, the busiest Sunday was Rogation Sunday, because none of you know what that Sunday is. I don't even know what that Sunday is, okay? I'm only joking. It's the third, it's three days preceding Ascension Sunday. So try and Google Ascension Sunday and find out when it is, okay? Uh, But everybody comes at Christmas, and somehow we've got to find fresh and new, interesting ways to tell you what you already know. Hence, this year, we're going to talk a little bit about reindeers and eggnog. Uh, And on top of this, this is a COVID year, a tougher than usual year. And that got me thinking. And with the help of writings from Richard Horsley and Thomas Cahill, I want us to place Christmas 2020 in the toughness of the first Christmas. Often, Christmas gets glossed over. You know, maybe it's the Christmas music or the lights or the ideas of chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Has anybody ever eaten chestnuts, you know? Maybe it's reliving the memories of so many past Christmases and the traditions that we do that keeps Christmas special. But this Christmas, COVID Christmas, we don't want to skirt real-life issues. We, we want to get to where we're all living at this moment, and we want to tackle the Christmas story from being honest about how life really is. And not just because of COVID, but for many people, Christmas is not the happiest season of all. There's awkward family gatherings. There's missing family members. There's empty kitchen cupboards. There's arguing kids. There's controlling in-laws. There's for every person who brings Christmas and Christmas brings out the best of life, there's somebody else, and Christmas brings out everything that's wrong with the world. And that's what we want to talk about a little bit this morning. Uh, It's what's wrong with the world that is our starting point for this year's Christmas story. At the time of the first Christmas story, that happened around year zero, the world was ruled by one of the Caesars, Caesar Augustus. The first Caesar was Julius Caesar, ruler of an empire, inventor of a salad. 
And from there, Julius Caesar passed on rule to his adopted son, Caesar Augustus, who became the first emperor. And Caesar Augustus came to power in roughly 20 BC and ruled until 14 AD. And so, the Christmas story happened at a time in the world where the world was ruled by one man, Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus believed that his adopted father, Julius, was God. And he believed that his father, Julius, had ascended to heaven. So, he referred to himself as the Son of God. And they sang songs to, to him, worshiping him as the Son of God ruling on earth. And Caesar Augustus had high priests, and you would offer incense to Caesar Augustus, and through his priests, they believed that they would receive forgiveness. Caesar Augustus saw himself as the Savior of the world, and he'd come to reunite heaven and earth. So, this was the beginning of the good news, the Echelion. So, in the real Christmas story, get your minds around this, the whole world was united from England to India by the Roman Empire. Notice I didn't say Scotland because the Romans never got us, okay? But from England to India, the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was ruled by Caesar Augustus. You tracking? So, you paid tribute to Caesar Augustus. They, they slaughtered anyone who was in their way. Uh, when Caesar's soldiers came to your village, they would ask you, is Caesar Lord? And you would reply, yes, Caesar is Lord. And if you refused, they killed you. These are records, or there are records of one of his generals, Cassius, who enslaved 30,000 people because they refused to say, Caesar is Lord. So, let's imagine your village. In walks the Roman soldiers. If you refuse to bow down, they would slaughter you, and they would take the rest of your village and make them slaves, their women, their children, their grandparents. There is a report on one writings of the city of Sepphoris, which is only a few miles from Nazareth, and they refused to accept Caesar, and the Roman troops captured and burned the city, making slaves of most, but crucifying on the spot 2,000 people. They carried out a torched earth policy and pity any city or village that stood in their way. Reports of on one day, 15,000 people were slain in the city of Jathia. In just six hours of fighting, Jathia is only two miles outside of Nazareth. This was Caesar's rule of peace, Pax Romana. And you're starting to track with the story. In the name of peace, he would slaughter and massacre to control the world. If you did bow down, you would then become part of the Roman Empire and pay taxes. And your taxes would go to Caesar so he could pay more troops so he could conquer more of the world. Now, as the empire advanced, how did Caesar keep control when he was nine months away? The answer was he would find a local king who would rule on his behalf. 
and in the land of Israel, now controlled by the Roman Empire, in walks to the Christmas story a local king called Herod, who was a distant cousin to Santa Claus, which is a neat twist in the story. Herod was an absolute warrior who slaughtered anybody in his path. You're sensing the trend. And basically, his job was to keep Caesar happy. And as long as he did what Caesar wanted, he could stay in control of Israel. And Herod ruled Israel for 40 years. So, Caesar ruled the world and took taxes to pay for his empire. Herod ruled locally, and he took taxes to pay for his palaces. He built extensive an extensive building program to be, you know, more or less he created a police state, and money was needed to fund his own army. Historians write that people were paying in excess of 80 to 90 percent in taxes. Imagine that all you had was a small plot of land. It'd been in the family for a hundred years. At this time, that was lost. And so, all you could do was beg and scavenge, just trying to get by. So, here's the story. Caesar Augustus is ruling. If you didn't bow down to him, you died. Herod rules locally, and if you didn't bow down to him, you died. Death, taxes, slavery, oppression, the world was falling apart. Now, the Jews, they believed that they were God's people. God had given them this land. He would provide for them. And so, what developed at this time was a deep sense of despair, a profound sense of fatalism. Is Caesar always going to rule? Is Herod always going to be on the throne? They just kill and kill and kill. And the rich, they get richer. And the poor, they get poorer. And those who have, have more. And the normal, everyday people, 99% of us have less and less and less. To understand the Christmas story, this was the history Forget, forget the quaint Christmas card with the still night and the little manger scene. Although most of you have forgotten that because most of your Christmas cards are pictures of you and your family, you egotistical bunch of people. Remember, it's not your birthday. You might have forgotten that. And within the Jewish people, they developed a profound sense of doubt. God if you're so good, why is Herod still on the throne? God, if you're so good, why is Caesar claiming to be God and getting away with it? God, if you're so good, why is there cancer? God, if you're so good, why divorce? There are questions were the questions of history. God, if you're so good and I try to do the right thing, why is this happening to me? And so we blur the lines 
from the Christmas story past to our story today, their questions are still our questions. God, if you're so good, why did I lose my house? Why did I lose my job? Why did I lose my kids? God, if you're so good, why this diagnosis? God, where are you? Are you sick on another planet? When is God going to show up? And in the first Christmas story, a man called Simeon enters the picture. And I love this line in the Gospels. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel to enter into the Christmas story and, and not just drive by one more nativity scene and hear one more Christmas carol. To enter into it, to own it, is to enter into a whole nation of people waiting. And they're asking God, how long, God, until you show up? And some of you know that question. God, where are you? How long, God? So I want to take a moment. I want to stop partway through this message, and I want to invite you to Reflect on this question of waiting. What are you waiting for and God hasn't done it yet? What pain? What struggle? What hurt? What brokenness? What falling apart and you're crying out to God to come and fix it, but He hasn't yet. What is it that you're waiting for God to do? So let's pause. Tyler will play some music just for a couple of minutes. Don't focus on Tyler, but ask yourself the question, God, what is it I'm waiting for you to do and you haven't done it yet? Let's just take a moment quietly and just ask that question.
And God, we're not just asking the question. We're asking you to move and to show up. And we're asking you to, re- to, to deliver us. We're asking you to redeem the situation. We're asking you to save in this moment. That's what we're asking, God. As much as in our minds we're thinking of where we're waiting, we're also petitioning you, saying, God, come. Show up. Don't be distant. Don't be silent. But come, God, and save and deliver and redeem and restore. Come, God. Come, we pray, into this world at this point. And we call out to you with regards to COVID, and we ask God for healing and a stopping of the virus. We ask whether it's through the vaccine or the removing of it by your hand, come and heal, heal our world. But then into our own world, you know our aches, you know our grief, our sorrow. Come, God, and help us and reveal yourself to us in the waiting. Come. So this is year zero. Despair. How long, God? God, where are you? And this is where the Christmas story picks up. And out of nowhere, an angel appears to a young Jewish girl. And Jewish girls were normally given into marriage around the ages of 13 or 14 junior hires. And I want you to open to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, this morning. Uh, Next week, we'll read a different section of the Christmas story. But this morning, we're in Luke's Gospel, and chapter 1, verse 30, and it says these words. uh, But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. These last words, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. It's at this time and in this place that an angel appears, not to a Roman general, not to a politician, not even to a priest but to a young Jewish girl. Now, Mary, very practical, and she's done this class in biology, and <laughs> you know, uh, how is this going to happen? It doesn't make sense. And the angel says, whoa, Mary, you don't under- you're going to get pregnant by the Spirit of God. And Mary's like, oh, well, that clears it up. It happens all the time, seemingly, you know. And there are several different translations of how the angel and Mary interaction ends. And and I love verse 38. I love how Thomas Cahill puts it. Mary said, here I am, the Lord's servant. Let's get on with it. And this is the Christmas story. But isn't it so bizarre? (laughs) That's why it's so powerful. It captures our imagination because it's God showing up and using the most unexpected kinds of people. God shows up and says, I haven't forgotten, but he shows up 
in the most unexpected ways. In the womb of a teenage girl, or in the voice of the poor, or in the eyes of the migrant, or in the helplessness of the patient, or in the faith of an elderly gentleman. God shows up and says to Mary, 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 Caesar's gone down. Mary, Mary, Herod's had his day. Mary, Mary, you're going to have a baby and call him Jesus, for he will save the world. And as the story is told in Luke's gospel, Mary explodes with a poem. And it's called the Magnificat, which is Latin for it magnifies. And I talked a little bit about this back in 2019. Luke's Gospel, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 46, and Mary says, and here's the poem, here's the… Now, when you read this, you will see that this is not meek and timid little girly talk, okay? This is not junior high, big into boys and doing their nails and posting the latest TikTok video. Notice the number of times where she quotes Hebrew Scriptures. This girl knows the Scriptures and our history, and she knows what God has been about in the past. She knows the story that she finds herself in. Like, if you're taking notes, that was good there, okay? Write that bit down. She knows the story she finds herself in. Do you know it? Do you know the story that you're a part of? Or do you not really know it, and so you're writing your own? Look at verse 46. My soul, says Mary, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In God my Savior? For Mary, God was not detached from the real world. God is involved in human history because she knew her history. She knew the Scriptures. God always in the past intervened and rescued her people. She knew that God was going to come on the scene and take care of Caesar and take care of Herod. Mary's God was in the midst of concrete reality. Flesh, blood, taxes, economy, wars, struggles, debt, unemployment. He's here. It's not God that's absent. It's us that don't show up. In verse 48, read more. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is a quote from the Psalms. In fact, seven quotes from the Psalms in this poem. The Psalms were the songbook of Israel. You sang the Psalms. Like, kiss country didn't really work for Mary. She sang the songs of her faith, of her doctrine, of her God. What's your teenage girl singing? She's singing the songs of faith? Or is she singing songs of hip gyrating synthetic pop? Yuck. Read on, look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost. I like how 
Thomas Cahill writes, the Magnificat is the most muscular poem in all of ancient literature. This isn't a girl who says, whatever. This is a girl who says, God is going to come on the scene and do something huge. Notice, she says, and he will scatter the proud. That's not in the Old Testament anywhere. <laughs> this was Mary's own faith. And this was her conviction of the kind of God who was now birthed in her virgin womb. <laughs> Verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abram and his descendants forever, even as he said, what a poem. Here's this worldwide empire, England to India, crushing anybody on its path. And Mary says, it's not a problem to God. God's been watching. Yes, He's been waiting, but He's also been watching, and now is the time. Cahill writes, no one knows it yet, but the poor and the hungry and the humiliated have won, and this unknown 13-year-old is their unexpected representative. I love it just love it. Mary says, I know Caesar is sitting on a big throne with a big sword. I know Herod is still overtaxing us and ruining our lives. But in my womb, in my womb, I've got me a baby. I'm the Lord's servant. Let's get on with it. So you can talk to me about vast armies and powerful rulers and thrones, but his kingdom, the kingdom of the baby in my womb, is going to go on forever and ever and even longer. And there's a lesson there. There's a lesson there on being careful what we rely on for our strength and how God works with strength. To which I add a historical footnote. Herod's kingdom is a pile of rocks. You can visit them on a ruins tour. Caesar is a series of pictures in the history books of men and togas. And we are here this morning to celebrate Jesus. So apparently, like Mary, we are on to something. And that's the point. That's the honesty and the realness that we talk about at the beginning of this preach. The original Christmas was set in a difficult, oppressed, despairing situation, but God entered and He valued a teenage girl, birthing in her faith and hope and a valuing of herself. And today, the 2020th Christmas. You're invited into the Christmas story to discover that still today God intervenes into the difficult, the waiting, the times when we're wondering, where are you, God? 
And even more, even greater, you are invited into the Christmas story to discover that still today, God values ordinary people. And if God values you, then perhaps you can value yourself. Your value is not determined by your circumstances, even pandemic circumstances. Your value is not determined by the circumstances imposed upon you, whether because of your race or your economics or your education or your health care. Although these two are so often related together and overlooked or ignored by our systemic injustices and inequality. Your value is not determined by your economic status or your employment status or your marriage status or your income status or what side of the railway tracks you live on. That baby born birthed a new kind of kingdom. It's there in the poem. The kingdom of God and life in that kingdom sees reality, even the harshest, most challenging, difficult circumstances from a very different perspective. And that's why my friend John, with cancer in his broken body for the second time, smiles every day, every day. And that's why David, with only one pair of shoes living in a room 10 foot by 10 foot in a slum, sleeping on a concrete floor, loved and cared for the children he saw every day in the slum that he grew up in and committed his life to empower them out of the little hell that they're living in. And that's why Jean, with little food in her kitchen cupboard, never let you walk out of our city project apartment empty-handed. She always had to share with you some of her sparse groceries down to the last tin of vegetables. That's why Cynthia, with beautiful looks and great personality, doesn't, doesn't give in to peer pressure to sleep around until she finds the right guy. It's why Bill, well on in his years, and with only himself for company, widowed for many years. It's why he doesn't give up and throw a pity party for himself, but he keeps his mind sharp, and he's still learning, and he writes cards of prayers and appreciations that he sends to younger men and fathers and leaders and pastors around the country every single day. Christmas. 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 Caesar doesn't have the last word. Herod doesn't have the last word. God does. And that word is so frequently in the strangest of settings, through the strangest of people, in the strangest of ways. So, what we got? 20 days? 19 days? As we head to Christmas, is there someone, a friend, a colleague, a family member, or maybe yourself, and you or they need to be reminded this Christmas who has the last word, and the only word that's eternal and sure? Is there someone, maybe you, and you need to know that the ending is sure? There is 
one king and one kingdom that will always be, and those that follow that king and that kingdom will also be as well. Is there someone, maybe you, and you need to find yourself in the first Christmas story, and you need to choose the faith path and the trust path and the boldness path and the victory path that Mary chose. The first Christmas is your Christmas. So, I'm going to pray as we end. And as I pray, may you let your whispers of distress or of despair or of fear or of worry come up before God. And may you receive from Him what only He can give this Christmas. Let's pray. Trouble and worry, fear, concern. You know our reality, God. And we're good at pretending. And we put on a mask so often. But in the stillness of our souls, we know our reality. And we know our doubts. And we know that sometimes we doubt you. Where are you? Are you here? Why are you letting this happen? Where are you? If you're good, why has this happened in my life? And we read the poem of Mary, and we can't believe that a 13-year-old had that faith, because we don't. And so we beat ourselves up with guilt, or we just trivialize and move on. But may some of us pause and be honest in your presence and ask that in this, these days of Christmas, when the world around us or the world that we exist in is difficult and challenging and broken and harsh, may you birth in us a greater faith, a new and fresh hope, and a boldness to believe that you are showing up, you will show up, you do show up. And it's not always in the obvious, but you're not removed and you're not staying distant. And that into the world was born a Savior. And help us, God, not just believe that He saved us from our sins, which He has, and we will be eternally grateful for that, but He has saved our lives today, 2020, December the 6th. He has saved our souls. And we can live with faith and hope 
and boldness and courage. So come, and in the whisper of your Spirit, birth something new in our souls. For Christ's sake, amen. May you have a blessed and courageous week as you live out the Magnificat in the midst of hard situations. And we'll see you all next Sunday. God bless.